Marcus again. Hello and welcome to the Pure Football Podcast. In this very special episode, I'll be joined as usual by Danny Corcoran, and someone that any long-term listeners will be very familiar with, as Owen Brown joins us to discuss this unbelievable international break for the men's senior side, as well as a segment where we'll discuss how the youth side's been getting on. So let's get into the episode. Scotland have just beaten Spain 2-0 in what is possibly one of the most historic results in recent history for Scotland, and this was a Spain team that have won 34 of their last 38 European qualifying matches. And here to discuss it with me are my usual, usual co-host Danny. How are you doing, Danny? Very good. Been a very good week, as I'm sure we'll speak about. But yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Reese. And Owen, how are you, Owen? I'm great, Reese. Thanks. How about you? Yeah, I'm I'm fantastic actually. After after having witnessed that Hamden, but first um to to get started, I guess the in fact you know what before we go into the team selections, I'll just give a wee mention to like the atmosphere at Hamden the other day. It was absolutely amazing. Like the flowers got into the start. Was uh, was amazing, but then it was only bettered by the one that was ringing around the stadium at two now. And um, there was actually I saw on Twitter there was a a French broadcaster that was tweeting about how how outstanding the the anthem was, so that rendition was. So so yeah, it was an amazing amazing experience to go with the result. Um, but yeah, jumping into the, the team selection. So um, we're going a bit back to front today. We're going to start with Spain because you know like we we just can't we can't wait to talk about it. Um, so the team selection. There were three changes. Um, from the from the game against Cyprus on Saturday. So we saw um, Ryan Christie coming in for Short Armstrong, um, Scott McTominay coming in for Ryan Jack, and then Lyndon Dykes coming in for the injured Che Adams. Um, were we happy with those tweaks, guys? Was there um, was that what we expected? Or, you know, any thoughts on that? Um, I'll come in first. Um, so it, it was kind of what I expected, really. I think the most interesting thing for me was that this is kind of Clark's template against bigger teams now, this 5-4-1 setup. If you think back even to the game against England at the Euros almost two years ago, um, that match featured seven of the same starters from this 11 um, and was a very you know similar kind of setup and game plan. So, yeah, I mean, the, the individual kind of personnel changes, some of them were enforced, you know, Dykes in for Adams and so on. But overall, um, it, it kind of... Yeah, it didn't surprise me given the kind of plan was clear for Clark. What about you, Danny? Any thoughts? Yeah, I think obviously I th- I think Ryan Jack was a bit unfortunate to miss out, but it makes sense. I mean, we knew we weren't gonna have much of the ball. McTominay had already scored twice against Cyprus. Jack's more used to possession based football. And I know McTominay is, but he's a lot better at the attacking sort of chaotic things, and I'm sure we'll touch on him more in a bit, but he's much more suited to to making those late runs and, and not really needing the ball at his feet because I think he can struggle with that at times. So it was a perfect game for him to come in. And like you said, I think Adams probably would have started over Dykes, but it was forced and, and Dykes did a good job. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. And um, there's a good argument to say that even though Adams um, is definitely our, our best option starting up front, Dykes did absolutely exceptionally, at, you know, like winning his aerial duels and being a real, like, 
a handful for the centre backs to deal with. So I think you know it wasn't it wasn't the worst that um, that Dykes had to come in there. And I also wanted to just touch on the on the Spain team because I feel that it was quite when I was on the train to Mount Florida at the time when I saw the team and I was quite surprised. I think there was some me- names missing that you maybe thought you maybe thought would be involved and it is it had it gave me a feeling that you know we could maybe go out and get a result. Um, was that something you just felt? I'll come to you first, Owen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a relatively poor squad overall um, for Spain, I guess. We'll, we'll touch on that a little bit um, further in a while. But yeah, the, the individual selections for this um, match were a bit perplexing. Um, I, I don't know what the reasoning behind that was. You know, was there overconfidence? Were they just trying to mix things up, give people opportunities or whatever? It's obviously a very new manager. Um but yeah, it certainly gave me a bit of a um, spring in my step. Felt a little bit more optimistic. Yeah, I think Hosselu came. Something came out today that Hosselu had said that Spain expected Scotland to play with a four at the back, which is weird and seems like something the coach probably should have expected because Scotland tend to play a back five. So they maybe they were ill prepared. Maybe they underestimated Scotland. I mean. Hossel is one of the top scorers in Spain this season, but he's not really what you'd expect from a Spanish striker. He's not really that quality that you expect. So, yeah, I think they are limited in what they can do Spain, but even then, they definitely undermined this Scotland team. Yeah, sure. I think... um... It's definitely it's not quite the caliber of player that you expect when you play like a European giant. Um, you have you see like the lineups that you have like France and England putting out at the moment, just the absolute like the breadth of talent, like the depth they've got. Um, they could probably put England would probably have a couple of elevens before they're feeling some players that like of the quality of Spain were fielding. So so yeah, definitely it gave me gave me hope, and I felt like there was just sense so cliched like something you know in the air when you got to hand and just, everyone had a bit of belief about them that you know we could actually do something about it uh, do something in the game sorry um and yeah just uh, to move on a little bit I think I wanted to just talk about some of the kind of like how the stats kind of looked from the game because I think that's something we like to look to but obviously there's a lot of context around them so um in the game we Scotland had 25% of the ball um to Spain's 75 of course um however they actually failed to well Scotland actually managed to put up more shots than them and Spain failed to register a big chance in the game um i won't mention the expected goals cuz i don't think it's particularly relevant to this this single game but um yeah i think i'd like to come and speak to you about um you know tactically were there any kind of any kind of standout reasons why why you think Spain maybe struggled struggled to create chances and um why Scotland were so effective in sort of you know uh, in the block off the ball yeah I'll, I'll go first with this um so on um so I, I think um Spain's plan was pretty poor it was a pretty pathetic performance overall um they you mentioned the, the number of shots there uh, Reese, they didn't actually have a single shot in the whole first 20 minutes of the match, which is crazy. And the first half, the only attempts they had were either headers or from corners, or there was one long shot from Pedro Poro. So really, really poor from open play. Um, and that kind of continued in the second half. You know, after our second goal in the 51st minute, Spain only attempted a further two shots, and one of those was injury time. Um, so, yeah, really, really ineffective, really. Um I'd read that this manager, De La Fuente, was supposed to be more flexible tactically than Luis Enrique, but I think that maybe flexible's a bit of a kind of mistaken categorization, and really, 
that just kind of means that he doesn't have much of a plan. They're a bit identity-less. Um, I did think the thing that was kind of sticking out to me when you said that Hosselu had said that they thought Scotland would have a back four is that the one thing that I thought they attempted tactically in the first half, which was quite smart, relied upon the fact that we had a back five. Um, so Spain did do this thing where they had their wingers very high. Um, so kind of the three up front with the wingers very high and very wide, trying to pose a problem basically for our wide centre backs and wing backs. Um, they were trying to get maybe, you know, on the left-hand side, Tierney and Robertson to be unsure who should be following the winger if they kind of dropped off and so on. It, it was an effective move, but they just didn't make enough of it. And similarly, um, they were trying to get their midfielders into the pocket kind of behind McTominay and McGregor in the centre of our midfield, which again was sensible, but they just lacked, you know, killer pass or pace in their game. And and I think, you know, Scotland obviously did very well in regard to that. We shuttled across the pitch really well. The the five four one we kept our space, you know, spacing pretty good. Um and the wing backs and the central defenders did pretty well to cope with that kind of difficult task. And all that kind of ended up with by the second half, I felt that Spain had kind of devolved into just relying on crosses and they weren't particularly good crosses you know they were kind of ones where they were passing it back and then kind of lofting it in from the edge of the box um and Hanley and Porteous were you know eating those up and um, the other thing that stuck out to me tactically with Spain as well is that off the ball um they basically didn't press us at all and there was a real lack of intensity and you know our back line isn't that great when under pressure sometimes so that was a surprise um, but you know as the game went on and on Spain just looked rattled um I don't know if they perhaps don't want this manager or, you know, the players are just a bit scared. Um, but they, they just kind of looked a bit mentally weak. And and that maybe brings things on to the players. So the other issue that you, you kind of touched on there, Reese, is the the quality of the Spanish side. So aside from the manager and the tactics, the, the standard of the players, they're, they're really lacking, I think, at this point in time in fundamental positions. So like centre-back, centre-forward, having a goal score and sort of hybrid wide forward. They, they don't really have um, you know, high-quality people in those areas. Um, the age of the team as well, so three of the seven defenders in their squad are in their 30s, um, but also it's a combination of age and inexperience. Like, Hosselu is 33, but this is only, I think, his second cap. So there's people that are old but inexperienced. The PKH guys are, by Spanish standards, mediocre. Um, and I think it looks like they've given too wide of a pool now of playing talent. You know, they're, they're handing out caps all over the place, which is a good contrast with Scotland, which has kind of kept things nice and tight with a bit of a club feel. I don't know if this is like an issue that is hard to avoid, maybe when you have legendary players like Ramos, Piquet, Alba, Busquets that play for a, a long time, and then, you know, how the transition works. I think the manager as well has clearly been a bad choice, you know, this youth guy that's been promoted, but they just lacked a good playing mentality um, and identity. And um, Scotland, like I said earlier, now have this template that they can use, this kind of 5-4-1 against the bigger teams, the possession-dominant teams, which really works. So it was a kind of, I don't know, it was it was a, a good meeting of those two things for Scotland. You know, we have a style that works against this, but also they're at the bottom end of that style I would say. Any thoughts on that Danny or, or what did you think of the game tactically? Yeah I think I'd echo nearly everything you said I think it's just some of like the personnel kind of played into Scotland's hands as well like Rodri obviously likes the ball deep 
Ceballos was dropping extremely deep to receive the ball as he does and they're not the quickest midfielders I know they're extremely good and play play at the very top level but the way that they them two kind of played they just slowed everything down in Spain's midfield and we were able to just get compact again and reset and reset and it just the way that Spain played was was very Spanish but without any of the cutting edge we've kind of seen from them and it was like a, almost like caricature of a Spain performance. There was lots of moving the ball around defence, but there were just nothing coming in be- behind. I think Jeremy did well. Jeremy Pino did well at one point. He got through past Robertson and opened up space, but then he played kind of a lazy pull back into the box and Portis just read it and Hosselu didn't really move. So even when they got through, they weren't really, they don't really have that quality that, that kind of, could cut through that Scotland defence that was so set. I think, again, personnel is going to come into that because they left Gavi out. They left Morata on the bench the entire time, who is a proven goal scorer at international level. So, yeah, I just think it was it was the perfect Spain performance for Scotland to take advantage of uh, tactically and personnel-wise. Yeah, I'd just come in uh, on that as well. And Owen, Owen mentioned something about you know the physicality and the kind of lack of pace. I think that was really noticeable. There were quite a few moments I noticed in the second half when they were kind of chasing the game, where maybe they'd, they'd play a kind of, you know, a ball in the channel or something like that. And you'd have Keane Tierney, who just had them on toast every time for recovery pace. Um, and, you know, when, when a team's struggling to, you know, have a cutting edge uh, in possession, they just didn't have any physicality to then impose on Scotland. Like, we just had the upper hand physically the entire game. Um, that comes down to the the pressing off the ball as well. They just they just really didn't impose themselves on us. So I think yeah, we we really had them there. And um, I may cut this back. I've kind of forgotten my train of thought. But uh, Danny, do you want to come in? Yeah, I think also there was like like Owen said, there was even though there's senior members in that team, even though there's older guys, there was a lot of inexperience at this level. I mean, I think the perfect. Example is probably Pedro Porro's 45 minutes of football. He looked shook like to his core within the first 10 minutes. He was he slipped for the goal. He was getting riled up. Robertson did a wee bit of the, the dark arts. It was not enough for anything really to happen. Yeah, he got booked even though it was a throw-in, which was ridiculous. But Porro threw himself to the ground. He just couldn't deal with the occasion and got hooked after 45 minutes. And he kind of encapsulated how a lot of that Spain team handled the atmosphere at Hamden that we've touched on previously. I'd quite like to come in on that because it re- relates to the fullbacks as well. But um, because Scotland defended so well and compactly, um, basically Spain rever- reverted to you know crossing balls in. Um, as much as I think Porro was very rattled, I actually I don't think he was that terrible. I know that like the kind of narrative is that he was terrible. Um, I think that the sub for Carvajal arguably suited Scotland because. As the game goes on, and the more that Spain are just throwing balls in, I think Poro's actually got a very good delivery from 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 like wide and from deep, and I think that he probably would have caused more issues um, when they were resorting to that. Not that it was an effective tactic anyway, but um, he definitely was rattled, and that's something we'll come on to talk about uh, in a minute. Um, the kind of outside of the tactical, do we do we think that Scotland got inside their heads? Um, is that like is that I think that was a, a genuine factor in the game? Well, yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I think you, you could see as the match went on, there were a lot of instances where Spanish players passed the ball out of play or, or when they were 
trying to knock it between each other. The you know return ball was over hit or badly hit. Um, so yeah, I think there was something you know confidence wise, psychologically wise going on. Um, absolutely, and um, you know there's maybe some things to read into the comments that Rodri made after the match. Um, I, th- I think you were gonna. Uh, do you have that to hand, Reese? The the um, soundbite that he had with about the difference in style. Yeah, I do. So, um, so I've got them, got them noted here. So at the end of the game, Rodri says, "It's the way they play, but for me, it's rubbish. Always wasting time, provoking you. Always they fall. For me, it's not football. The referee has to take has to take on this, but he says nothing. We will learn from this next time. We want to go for duels, for battles. We always fight, but this is not about fighting. It's about time wasting." four or five players on the floor, but it depends on the referee, not us. And I thought that was um, highly, highly ironic there from Rodri. But uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that speech from Rodri um, makes me think that not only did we rattle them in the game, but Spain is maybe a team which is psychologically damaged a little bit themselves with a kind of weak mentality um, already or, or as a result of these things, there's lots of factors at play for them, right? So, you know, as we touched on, there's legendary players that have gone. So the new players might be feeling, in relative terms, a little bit, you know, um, lacking in confidence. The coach is quite different from the previous one, um, doesn't have much of an identity and, and you know, in, in terms of tactics, but also in terms of his management style and how he is as a personality seems quite different. And then you've got Rodri kind of alluding to this moral idea about football, um, you know, the, the stylistic kind of differences between Scotland and Spain. And, I mean, you can have all sorts of debates about that, but ultimately, um, whether he's right or not, whether you can say that one type of football is better than another or whatever, for Spain, it's lazy and unproductive. Um, and they're not even, as I think uh, Danny mentioned earlier, even if you were going to say, well, this style, this Spanish style is good, they're not doing it very well, right? So, you know, they're they're just kind of, I think this is, this statement was about Scotland on the face of it, but for me, it's more about Spain. It's more about Rodri himself and about how they're doing. Um, it seems to me that they're in a bit of a mess. I mean, obviously they had a bad result to a near neighbour at the World Cup that put them out. You know, they haven't had... Um, you know, a, a winning run in an international tournament for a while now. Their league football is not in the most healthy place, you know, both in terms of the financial um, goings-on at some of the big clubs, the refereeing irregularities. Um, Barcelona versus Real Madrid derby in mid-March had only six Spanish players out of the start in 22, and of those six, only two were under the age of 30. So I, I would say, you know, maybe this... He's maybe talking a little bit more about himself and about his team than about Scotland. Um, yeah, but we definitely rattled them for sure. Yep. It's very rich that <laughs> Rodri would say that as someone that was schooled at Atletico Madrid and, Diego, and by Diego Simeone. Like, he must know that that's how teams win football games sometimes. It just sounded... It was very elitist, and I'm sure he said that before about about games. He's It's not the first time that he's kind of throwing throwing the toys out the pram when he's not got his way. Um but yeah, there was so many of the Spain team that just couldn't deal with a lot of it. There was when Hosselu kind of fell to the floor in the box and banged his hands against the ground. I think Iago Aspas was on the pitch for about two minutes before he smacked into Ryan Porteous and Ryan Porteous 
I know there's a lot of people that don't like him, but he's the perfect wind-up merchant for games like this. He was like, I can't remember, it was at Gaia, he was he tapped on the head about 15 times as he went to take a throw-in. So Scotland were, were using those sort of little psychological edges just to wind Spain up. And it got a reaction out of Spain, but the complete wrong reaction if you're a Spanish fan. Like, it didn't spur them on to kind of create chances to go at Scotland, to go at this nation they should be beating. Instead, they just looked more unmotivated, but just angry at everything else. And it was, it was, it, it got a bit pathetic at times from Spain. And, and to say that afterwards was just ludicrous. But I think it's, it's just him deflecting from the actual performance. Makes it even more fun for us in the aftermath as well, right? The memes on Twitter and everything and so on. So, you know, um, I'm here for it, really. <laughs> well, I think um, we're going to try, we're going to talk about some more general thoughts on the international break um, in the kind of third third section we do after the Cyprus game. Um, but, you know, just any any kind of concluding thoughts on, on this game specifically uh, before we before we move on to the next section? Um, my thoughts are just that it, it gives a clear indication that Scotland have a way to play against these bigger nations now, as I was saying, with it kind of somewhat mirroring uh, the game against England. Um, you know, we, we have a, a method um, that we can use and, and the players did really well um, to keep the shape and, and also to get the goals. You know, the thing that we talked about near the start with the selection of McTominay, who we'll come on to later, but it's really important these kind of situations in this game um, that we have a couple of people that can score open play goals. Um, so they did brilliantly. It's an incredible result. And like you said, it was a wonderful atmosphere and, and quite a brilliant match to be at. Yeah, they did great. Yeah, I think uh, I'd like to shout out Hickey. I think we can touch more on them in the general, but his two-footedness at that right-back position helps a lot with, with sort of passing angles and getting out of, of situations and creating creating chances he did in the Cyprus game, but I'm not going to go too into that. And as well, I think the sort of that early on period where Scotland really started strongly and got the goal, I think the the sort of left-hand side and the combinations between Tierney, Robertson, Christie pulling out, McGregor um, making angles and receiving the ball worked really well. Like we were caught, we had some really, really good passing interchanges and, and a good understanding of of each other which is back to Owen's point about it's quite a close-knit group that have played a lot of games together now and you can just see that understanding on the pitch which is is so nice to see especially against a team like Spain. Yeah in in the kind of highlights that um, were put out of the goals and you know so on Scotland's opener um, didn't really get to see um, from just the highlights but there was a long extended passage where we had some pretty reasonable possession play in the lead up to it. So, you know, that, that was a positive, absolutely. I think one last point I would make as well is that although we were going long quite a lot from the goal kicks, it was very noticeable that um, we're dropping the centre-backs, uh, the kind of the wide centre-backs deep to kind of offer, give the option of building out from the back. Um, and we are looking like quite comfortable in that. We've got a lot of good technical players there now. Um I think that's something we've noticed support you uh, as well coming in uh, as well on that side. So, yeah, I think um, just... I'll echo everything you guys were saying about it, but just such a positive performance and positive result, and just gives us gives us so much hope going forward that you know we can we can do something in this group. 
And so for the second part of the pod today, we're going to have a wee chat about the, the Scotland youth teams. And um, there's no better person here to talk about it than Owen. So uh, how have things been this break for the for the youth teams, Owen? Mixed, I guess, Reese is the answer to that. So um, yeah, Scotland under-21s went away uh, to Spain to play a couple of friendlies. Uh, they played against Sweden and lost that game 3-2. And then they played against Wales and lost that game 3-0. Um, the under-21s actually start their qualification campaign for the Euros in September. Um, so a little while to go till then, but uh, these might be, I don't know if they'll maybe have some friendlies in June, but two kind of key friendlies just here to test out some players and tactics and so on. Um, better news uh, at a slightly younger level. Uh, so Scotland under-17s had their elite round of Euros qualification um, down in Wales. Um, they played... Wales, who beat them 4-2. They played Montenegro, who um, Scotland beat 2-1, and then they drew 0-0 with Iceland in their final group match. Um, Those results meant that Scotland qualified for the Euros as one of the best-placed group runners-up. So well done to them. The tournament is in Hungary in May of this year. Yeah, so it's definitely been a mixed bag then for the youth teams in this international break. But I think the the most topical thing, uh, the most topical debate, sorry, has been uh, the position of Gemmo as the under-21s coach. Um, and it's kind of broken into the sort of mainstream Scotland discourse a little bit. And so, Owen, do you, do you feel that it's time for Gemmo to go as the under-21 manager? Um, yeah, I, I do think that Scott Gemmo should probably um, move on. Um, look, he's been in the position for seven years or at least it will be seven years at the start of those 2025 under 21 euros qualifiers that I mentioned and that's potentially too long for almost anybody in a football management job at this point now you know tactics and things change quite quickly in the sport now so that's maybe the kind of kindest most sensible way to approach this that it's just kind of time and particularly with there being you know another five, six months until those qualifiers, why not do it just now? Um, the, the record is not particularly good. You know, In general terms for Scotland, we've not qualified for um, the European Championships under 21 level since 1996. Um, and, I mean, you can't expect to qualify for those tournaments every single time um, at, at youth level, but some of the kind of, I guess you would say, competitor nations, you know, ones that are kind of, similar size um, and quality to us, have a far better record. You know, for example, Czech Republic have qualified for six out of the last 10 um, under 21 euros. Denmark have managed six out of 10. Serbia have managed six out of 10. Um, Israel have done three out of 10. Romania, three out of 10. Sweden, three out of 10. Switzerland, three out of 10. Even like, you know, uh, Poland and Norway have done two out of 10 each. So, you know, it's really, in general terms, very disappointing that we've not managed to do better um, in those ways. But also, with Scott Gemmo, I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical about um, what he's actually produced um, through that seven years. There obviously can be some benefits at time to have continuity, but the tactics haven't been particularly good, in my view. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that the players are learning a lot from those. Um, and the kind of general kind of go-to sound bites might be that you know the job is to kind of produce players for the senior team and and some players have graduated to the senior team but whether those players would have done it um regardless you know whoever the under 21's manager was 
um, or whether they're there or have improved because of Scott Gemmell, I'm a little bit dubious about. Um, so yeah, I, I think it probably would be a good time for him to to move on. The difficulty, I guess, is that it's in general terms maybe not a job that that's a, is that attractive for um, coaches will be that good. Um, but you know we we can certainly try. Um, there's some potentially obvious candidates. Stephen Naismith, for example, um, is involved in the Scotland national team kind of set up coaching. He's also the Hearts B um, coach at the moment. I, I went to see them relatively recently, and um, they're playing a pretty good style of football. He's a very kind of um, passionate and active coach. So want to have a look at him. There's you know other options as well. Um, you know the Rangers under eighteen manager Cameron Campbell is an impressive um, coach too. So it's not that we kind of don't have any other options. Um, I think, though, um, it, it's not as simple as just kind of getting rid of the manager. You know, we would um, need some sort of tactical playing identity from whoever comes in, make sure people are put in correct roles. The, the reason I'm kind of mentioning that, I guess, is that these friendlies um, that we just had against um, Sweden and Wales, um, it was all a little bit confusing. Um, the squad um, was picked with a bit of an imbalance, um, lack of centre forwards in the squad. And then in the first match, we were playing um, a, a relatively sensible formation for the players, you know, kind of 4-3-3, moving to a sort of 4-4-2 out of possession. But then in the second game, again against Wales, we played a, a, a basically a 3-5-2. Um, I, I don't know if that was to match up Wales having a back three, but we didn't have a centre forward. You know, we ended up playing as the two up front, um, Connor Smith um, and Deere Mabudi. Deere Mabudi is a, a right winger, very promising, but not a centre forward. And, and just overall, you know, the, there's an issue when, um, you know, the, the tactics don't quite make sense and the players um, are being put in positions where it's not working and also, you know, what, what are they actually gaining from it? So, yeah, to, to go back and kind of answer your question, Yes, I do think it would be ideal timing right now for Scott Gemmell to move on from the under twenty ones. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think you've you said more than I could definitely um could definitely add to it. But you've um you mentioned Mabudi there, so I've I was thinking about some kind of uh, individual players that are kind of looking good at that age group. So you've mentioned Mabudi. Are there any other players that um that you think stand out. Um, there's one that I wanted to ask you about in uh, Hayden Hackney, who's been who's been key to Middlesbrough's revival under Carrick this season. Uh, mm. And I've seen a lot of people suggesting that he should be getting a senior call-up. Um, do you think that that's kind of called for yet? Um, or do you think it'd be a little bit, bit too early? Well, Hackney played in the first of the two under-21 games. He played against Sweden and he played pretty well. Um, so he's a, a deep-line playmaker, basically. I mean, learning from... Michael Carrick, kind of an ideal person to do so. And and he, he did look good. He's very tidy. He's comfortable on the ball. You know, he doesn't lose it. He kind of can play under pressure. He'll, you know, find somebody with a good forward pass. Um, so I think he's one of the promising ones in the under-21 team. I, I would say overall, um, I think... Saw some people on Twitter kind of suggesting this is some sort of golden generation that's coming through. Um, and I think maybe that's just that people are a little bit um, unhappy with Scott Gemmell and, and are you know kind of getting a little bit emotive about it. It's a good first eleven, I would say, potentially the under twenty ones. I, I wouldn't say it's you know a kind of crazy generation at the moment, but there there are some decent people and and yeah, Hackney is one of the 
the the better players definitely. Um, I think if he was going to play for the senior side, um, he would be kind of like a backup to Cal McGregor. That's the kind of position that I would compare him to in this team. Um, but he doesn't at this point, at least from what I've seen, have probably McGregor's off the ball. Um, ability, um, both mentally and physically, you know, that kind of determination and that kind of snap about him. Um, but yeah, if he can develop that side of the game, or, or maybe I've just not seen him in games um, where he's had to do that, um, then yeah, I, I don't see why he shouldn't be under consideration for a um, step up to the senior squad. Certainly, my ideal would be for, you know, the kind of more peripheral central midfielders at the senior level, like Kenny McLean, for example, to be phased out and people like Hackney to be considered. Um, yeah, but it, it's difficult, I think, for you know Clark because Clark wants to keep a tighter um, squad than has happened for Scotland in the past, which is good. Um, but also there's fewer opportunities to experiment now that um, the powers that be have kind of got rid of friendlies and instead got you know all these tournaments, the Nations League and stuff, which is great for us as fans, but maybe means for a manager it's a little bit more... Um, risky to experiment but yeah absolutely Hackney would be one that you know should be under consideration soon for the senior team yeah there was another uh, an area you touched on there about um you know people suggesting it may be like a golden generation and maybe that going a step too far uh, I'd actually been speaking to someone recently about the sort of options at centre half for the under 21s um mainly because Connor McAvoy who had been on loan at Partick Thistle um who uh, had actually been very impressive for Park Thistle, but obviously in the Scottish Championship, so a slightly lower level than maybe some of the other the other players uh, in that group. Um, so I was basically, yeah, I was thinking that uh, with him dropping out, I, I wasn't entirely sure how strong the options were at centre-half, um, especially if he was kind of one of the, the better options already. Is that maybe one of the areas that's not so strong for the under-21s? Yeah, we're, we're definitely pretty light in that area, um, numerically and quality-wise, I would say. So under 21s, you can be, um, the age group is January 2002 or younger. Um, so for the guys that are born in 2002, 2003, there, there aren't that many. Um, there's McAvoy, obviously, who's got a serious injury now. Um, there's Ben Bowett, who is playing in the second tier in the Netherlands, so on loan from Fulham, and has... I've watched him a couple of times. He's uh, recently a good player, um, but his team have been beaten pretty badly at times. It's a very, um, you know, you know what type of league it is there. You know, there's extreme results um, from teams, some very bad defending. Um, then in the 2003 group, you've got Liam Morrison, who um, is Bayern Munich and was the captain for Scotland um, in these under-21 games. Uh, he, he did well. I'm, I'm not... I don't know. I'm I'm feeling lately that with a few of the individual players, maybe the cachet of the club they're at is clouding people's uh, understanding of quite what level of quality they'll end up being. Um, but yeah, certainly he's, he he did okay um, against Sweden, not very well against Wales, um, but you know is is promising. Um, then we had guys like Dane Murray who unfortunately had a serious injury at Celtic um, and, and hasn't been available. And then there's a group of younger guys. So there's people like um, Jeremiah Mullen. There's Kerr Smith at Aston Villa. Um, there's Leon King at Rangers. Um, all, all promising, but I, I don't know if there's really kind of um, a definite amongst them that's going to be a top, top level centre-back. Yeah. 
Sure, that's really interesting. Um, and to kind of go from players we're less sure about to ones we've heard a lot about, um, I think Ben Doak is probably the, the most high profile of that squad. Um, kind of had some Premier League minutes this season. Had originally been sort of come in for the League Cup fixtures and stuff at Liverpool. Um, someone I'm sure Danny can chime in on as well. Uh, was was there was the clamour to have Doak in the in the senior squad just like so far justified, or do you think do you think it suits him to be kind of out of the spotlight a little bit and uh, kept in under twenty ones? Yeah, I, personally, I would say he needs more time out of the spotlight um, in the under twenty ones. That's a good elevation, you know. He was very recently, you know, only playing at a much lower level in the the youth um, team, so under twenty ones is a good spot for now. I understand the clamour um, because, well, obviously he's an exciting talent, but. The main thing is he's very, very different from what we have at senior level. I think you would say maybe that one of the key things the Scotland national team lacks right now is pace and dribbling ability, and obviously that's his um, you know, number one, number two attributes. But I don't quite think that um, he's really ready um, for the level. Um, the expectation that would be put on him is unfair. And then you know if you ended up having to play him in a game like the one against Spain, where you need your wide midfielders to be very very disciplined, um, I, I kind of wouldn't want that to backfire on the player. Um, so extremely excited about him, um, but there's time we need to kind of let him continue to develop and learn those aspects of the role at Liverpool that will then help us when he's in the the national team. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, um, we could book out a full hour and I could talk about Ben Doak. He's probably the most exciting prospect in our academy off the top of my head right now. He's definitely the one that's gripped people's attentions this season with his performances in the Youth League. Uh, he's had minimal minutes in the senior team, but when he has come in, he has looked very exciting. Um, but yeah, so it's not time yet. I mean, he's still playing youth football every week. Um, the majority of where this hype is coming from is the Youth League, which is an under-19s competition. To step up into international senior football is, is quite a jump, and, and the under-21s is, is, is where he should be at right now. But like like Owen said, the, the prospect of him and what he can bring to Scotland is, is huge. He's such a dynamic winger. There was a goal against um, Rangers in the Youth League, funnily enough, in Glasgow, uh, back in September, I think it was, uh, where he kind of picked the ball up at the corner flag and managed to dribble past about four or five Rangers players and then curl it in with the outside of his foot, um, which was just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, he's he's developing nicely at Liverpool. He's got a bit of edge to him as well. He got punched in a big melee um, in the Youth League not long ago uh, against Porto. Um, so he's got that bite to him as well. I just he is so fantastic, and we will see him in the, the senior squad sooner rather than later. But I mean, he's not getting minutes at senior level. He shouldn't really be in contention for the senior team. Sure. So um, just to round off this section, we've got a couple of questions uh, from Twitter. Um, so. This is for Owen, and uh, it's Andy from Alba Mater. says, please tell us how to sort out the under-21s. What do you do on paper? They're a very, ta- very talented bunch. And I guess we've sort of covered, like, to some extent this, um, and maybe, you know, covered how much, the, how much the talent, kind of how deep the talent goes in the squad. Um, but, I mean, is there any, any other thoughts you've got on that one? Uh, yeah, hi, Andy. Good to hear from you. Um, I, I would probably say, yeah, 
new coach at this point would be really good to refresh things, find a tactical um, identity um, and make sure that people are put in their correct roles in that. So it sounds simple, but I don't think that's really been happening at all. Um, the other thing is just to make sure that the scouting and selection is really robust. Um, I've, it, it's, it's obviously very difficult to pick players for the youth level because um, it's kind of... Uh, there's lots of competing elements, you know, should somebody be in the under 19 still or in the 21s, you know, is this person going to game time at the club level so you can watch them and so on. But I have felt that at times there's been some strange selections recently. Um, for example, you know, squads with uh, a lack of players in particular position, um, you know, a lack of centre forwards in, in one squad, or maybe a player called up who... Um, doesn't really seem to be of the level required. Um, for example, in the under-21 friendlies last week in this international break, there's a player from Swansea um, who, who was called up to the team, uh, Azim Abdullahi. Um, that was his first appearance of any sort at Scotland youth level, and he, he didn't really seem, with all due respect, to be of the level required to be playing for Scotland under-21s. So it's just, you know, I, I would just want to make sure that, the you know, we don't really know why that person has ended up in the squad. Um, and that's the other thing I would maybe say that I would want to see, a little bit more transparency and accountability. It's, it's difficult because, um, you know, the, the, the managers, the coaches should rightly be protective of the players and they don't have to give more detail than they want to. Um, it's obviously also quite a niche subject. There's not the same amount of interest. There's not, you know, journalists tracking things as there are at the senior level. Um, but I do think that it might be helpful for decisions to be explained. You know, why was that three five two used against uh, Wales with you know no centre forwards in the squad or on the pitch at least? Um, and why was that person selected? So th- things like that might be a good way to try and change things, Andy. Um, you know, the, the tactical identity, the transparency of communication, the robust scouting and selection. And, and more progressive and newer um, coaching ideas um, that, that really fit the, the players. That would be my hope. That's a very, very in-depth answer there, Owen. So uh, the next one is from David H. And he asks, why are we failing to produce centre-forwards at all age levels? Rory Wilson appears to be the one exception. So surely we have the opportunity to provide a solution to this issue when we are identifying prospects from our for our performance skills. Yeah, I think that's a good question um, and there does seem to be a bit of a gap in terms of centre-forwards for us. So amongst the 2002 age group that would be you know, the older of the under-21 level, um, you've got kind of Thomas Dixon-Peters, Kieran Bowie, um, Tommy Conway, who unfortunately was injured, he was playing in the Championship. And then there's not really many people um, at 2003 level, um, at least not many playing senior minutes. There, there are some promising players in the 2004 age group. We've got Adam Brooks, Kieran Offord, um, Robbie Ewer. Um, but I do take your point that there does seem to be a little bit of a deficit of centre-forwards. Um, why is that? Um, well, I think it's probably one of the hardest positions to get minutes at as a young player, at least consistent starting minutes um, to build up um, you know, and, and get a run on the team and, and show what you can do. So that's probably an issue. Um, there was... Um, there's there's a lack of young players generally getting minutes at the top level in Scotland, um, but particularly for centre forwards, that's tough. Um, the other thing I was thinking about too uh, in response to this is physicality. 
So just thinking overall, and it maybe goes back to what we were talking about with developing centre-backs too, I'm wondering whether we, as a nation, as our performance schools, may have flexed a little bit too far towards the technical side of things and thinking about how we develop players who are better with the ball. And that's maybe taken our eye off the fact that, um, you know, where are the elite athletes? Um, the, the under-21 group, I would say, aside from Doak, who has, you know, remarkable pace, um, there's there's maybe in the attacking areas for sure and, like, the fundamental kind of areas like central defence, there's not kind of high-level athletes um, in terms of height, size, speed. And I think that's a, a critical um set of attributes for a centre forward so maybe that's one of the things um, as well, are, are we actually building um, players that can play the role in 2023 um, you know, I, I don't know but it's it's a good thing to keep an eye on David and I, I don't disagree there, there are prospects, just to go back to that aside from the guys that I mentioned, the 2004 people and aside from you know, um, you mentioned Rory Wilson there's kids like Alfie Babbage at, at Aberdeen who's scoring a, a load of goals in youth football. Um, there's Ethan Laidlaw at Hibs, uh, Bobby Wales at Kilmarnock. So that there are kids playing up front who are promising. But yeah, there, there's maybe not that kind of dominant centre forward. Certainly not like one developed in Scotland at the under-21 level right now. Correct. So to round off the podcast, um, we're going to talk about the Cyprus game from uh, Saturday and kind of give some general concluding thoughts on the break as a whole. So I guess it makes sense to touch on the, the team selection for the Cyprus game. And one of the main standouts for it was uh, we saw Angus Gunn coming in for his first for his first Scotland cap, um, who looks like he may be our kind of new long-term, long-term solution at goalkeeper, given the, the age of um, the outgoing Craig Gordon and, you know, other guys we've seen over the last couple of years like Marshall. Um, did we have any kind of any surprises there, guys? I'll come to you first. On uh, I, I wasn't surprised by the lineup. Bit bored to be honest, <laughs> but uh, not not surprised. I just thought it was a little bit, um, yeah, dull for Cyprus at home. But fine. Yeah, I have to admit, I didn't see this game live. I did watch it back. Um, yeah, I mean. Scored fairly early, about midway through the set, the first half, and then kind of, I think Cyprus kind of came back into it a wee bit, and then obviously McTominay scored those two goals. The first of his two goals was an excellent finish, um, and I think touching on him, his attacking game is so good and so useful to this team. I mean, I know, especially on this podcast, we've kind of criticised him a lot, but if you use him in that sort of more niche midfield role he he is exceptional at it and it makes sense because he was an attacking midfielder in youth football and then he's been asked to be this guy from Man United that he isn't really and then there was a lot of discourse on on him because he scored two goals against Spain and how good he really is which was a bit tiring because I feel like he gets talked about an awful lot um but I think he's very useful to this Scotland team. Sure so I agree what you're saying there guys um from from my point of view, the the game, the way it played out, I thought that um Scotland did quite well in the first half. I was quite happy with the performance. I mean, Cyprus did really were were pretty terrible and they didn't didn't change challenges. But I thought that you know I thought we moved the ball quite well. Um, we yeah, I thought I thought it was mostly positive. Um, however, the second half I was really quite disappointed. Um, and you know we didn't really do much until 
Cyprus maybe threw a bit more at us and then we got those two two late goals. I don't know if that's that's kind of something you guys would echo. Uh, come to you. Uh, I think you saw the first half a lot more positively than me, than uh, Reese. to be honest. Um, I didn't think it was very good, uh, this game at all. I mean, I thought that, um, yeah, I thought we played pretty slowly. Um, the, 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 the pitch, um, I know that Spain used it as one of their excuses um, after the loss, but I thought the pitch wasn't that great for the game at Cyprus, which maybe didn't contribute. I thought some of the players looked a bit lethargic. I was worried on the day that McGinn looked a bit injured. Um, he proved he wasn't against Spain. Cool. But overall, I thought we were a little bit slow um, on the ball um, and kind of executing ideas. Um, and in the, the first half, we, we put up 0.77 expected goals. But of that, 0.54 was the goal. So the, the, there wasn't that much in the way of chances. And, you know, it's it's Cyprus. We did well to limit them, right? They had no shots inside our box all game, which was good. But, um, yeah, I, I wasn't really satisfied. It, was, it wasn't really enough for me all round. And, and certainly the second half. I mean, in the second half, we had no shots in the entire first 15 minutes of the second half. And then none from the 70th minute up until when McTominay, McTominay scored after the 87th minute. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, a, a win is a win, obviously. Um, and um, it, it's very important to kind of start the campaign in this way, but it wasn't really good enough for me. I think um, it's... It's interesting we were talking about having a blueprint for the big games uh, and, you know, knowing how to play against these teams that are going to dominate the ball and such. Um, I do wonder uh, if, you know, the games against Cyprus, if we get through them, they're probably the only games in this group that are going to going to kind of play out like that because even Georgia, Georgia have been a team on a on a really good run of form. Like, how do we look at their previous, like, 15 games? I don't know the exact numbers, but basically they've, they've more or less, like, unbeaten in quite a long time. Um and yeah, I just wonder if the other games will play into our hands a little bit more. Even their better opposition, maybe we might actually, you know, do do better in you know chance creation because we're we're able to exploit the teams in transition and kind of, uh, you know, uh, have some success that way. Potentially, but my my concern is that the likes of Norway and Georgia, I would see them as more of a kind of mid range in between the two. So I, I agree entirely um, that we've got that template against the very big teams. And we can grind out results against the small teams. But do we have a plan for um, Georgia and Norway, those types? The things I'm thinking back to then, right, are like um, uh, last June, 3-0 loss to Ireland. Uh, the game away to Armenia, where we were really helped by a red card to kind of turn it around in our favour. Um, the friendly against Turkey um, last November. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit sceptical um, about those kind of mid-range teams. However, we'll see. Um, it's it's kind of a positive for me in that Norway might have a psychological problem now, feeling like they're nothing without Haaland, given their results in these two matches and their lack of goals. They, they dominated possession against Georgia, but only you know drew one each. Um, so we might have that edge on them. And, and yeah, as, as you say, maybe we can try and treat Georgia as a, a bigger team and, and do the kind of... Five four one type thing to uh, win, but that's my concern that they're they're the mid range teams where we maybe don't have a clear plan. Yeah, I guess we'll do this in future pods, but I think the way that Georgia play might Scotland might not enjoy that because it's very similar to how we play against bigger teams, um, and then they do have that guy that can hurt you in Kravitzkelia, 
should really know that considering I do a Serie A podcast. Um, but yeah, I watched that Georgia-Norway game. Norway play some very, very good football. It just kind of looked a bit like they were missing Haaland and then they got frustrated and couldn't really play through Georgia. Those two teams are polar opposites. So it'll be interesting to see how Scotland kind of match up against them. Norway have obviously got more quality and play nicer football, but you feel like Scotland might kind of thrive on playing them more than playing Georgia. I've got kind of a bad feeling about the Georgia games, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think that every Scotland fan is looking at the Georgia away game and going, you know, that's that's the one. We're, we're probably, <laughs> that's the one we'll probably slip up on. But yeah, I don't know if you, don't know if you guys have anything else specifically to mention about Cyprus. I think, you know, we got the result. It wasn't an entirely convincing performance, but you know, we move on from it and we kind of hope for better. Uh, I would probably like to move on to just have a, a wee kind of like chat about just standout performers over the whole break. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to start it actually by giving like a shout out to Steve Clark. So he, we announced his new contract just to, just before the international break. Um, and you know, I think fully deserved. I, I'm very happy with the direction we're going in as a whole and you know it's probably the best that like we felt as a nation about the the national team for 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 a long time in my lifetime anyway so yeah i'm 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 very happy about that and you know shout out to steve clark for that and uh on the players front are there any players you guys want to kind of give like a specific specific mention to that we've not kind of covered already Um, I, I think that just the kind of key thing was that everybody played their role well. Um, so I don't know if there was anything that was particularly spectacular, um, apart from the kind of guys that we mentioned. You know, Porteous came in and did well, even tried some good passes through the middle. Uh, Hanley defended the box really well. Um, I thought McGinn was very good in some moments against Spain. But the key thing was, and maybe this kind of goes back to, um, celebrating what Steve Clark does, um, that you know everybody performed their role well. Um, not spectacular, but kind of it all just sort of worked. I think we've yeah. kind of. Oh, there you go. Carry on, Danny. There you go. I was going to touch on the you've mentioned him, but Angus Gunn. I think as he's not a world-beating goalkeeper, but he's very solid, and I think he's a big step up from the options that are also in the squad. And also, with the, I think there's talk that they're trying to get Jason Steele from Brighton um, on board to play for Scotland as well. If you can get those two guys as goalkeepers, I think that's a good solid rotation and a nice progression from from McGregor and Gordon. Um, Steele obviously kind of goes up against Robert Sanchez. I think he's deserved his number one pick now for how he can utilise the ball at his feet. Um, so I think if we can get them two as the options and goals, I think that's really strong for, for that position. And they're, they're both quite young goalkeeper-wise. I think Angus Gunn's 27. So they'd be there for quite a few years. I think that's, that's a good step for the team that we've taken this international break. I do think Steele's a little bit older. Um, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not that bothered. Like I'll be, it'd be nice to, you know, have another option there should we need it. But, you know, it's not the end of the world if, if he doesn't, you know, declare for Scotland but uh, yeah in terms of other players I think we've already mentioned them briefly but Hecky I was really impressed with Hecky the whole break to be honest um, just defensive awareness like two-footedness as you mentioned Danny um, just generally just playing really well in both games so yeah definitely very happy with Hecky just having the two two good options at wing back 
uh, rather than the kind of lopsided shape we had before when, like, I love Stephen O'Donnell, you know, ex-Thistle and all that, but, you know, it's just not the quality, it wasn't there. So it's great to have, you know, the strength on both sides there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we don't need to talk about it again, but, you know, credit to McTominay on getting his goals. But, <laughs> um, you know, we, McTominay discourse has been done to death, so we, we don't really need to, to do any more of that. I think also because there was some ludicrous chat on Twitter after the game, um, shout out Callum McGregor again. That's my every single podcast I'm shouting him out, but he provides like that platform for the other midfielders to look more glamorous. So like McGinn will always get the plaudits because he scores the goals. McTominay, when he does the things that he did against Spain and Cyprus, gets the plaudits, but McGregor gives that base. He is like a metronome for Scotland. Like he, he creates these triangles down the left-hand side. He links up so well, especially with Tierney and Robertson. I think he's just so good and he's such a key part of this team and no matter who comes in against him, looks good, but McGregor's the constant. Well, I think that just about wraps up the episode then. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? I mean, we can cut this bit to be fair and I can just go into like a wee we end is that everything yeah I think so well that just just, I'll start that again (laughs) well that just about wraps up the episode there guys so thank you very much for listening and um, thanks for joining us Owen and Danny Um, where can we find where can the listeners find you if they want to see more of your work Danny uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Calcio underscore Danny. And uh, do you happen to have any other podcasts you would like to shout out while you're here? Uh, yeah, there's a fairly new one called the Seriously Good Podcast, and that's like Serie A. So yeah, check that out if you're interested in Italian football. And obviously, there are quite a few Scottish players, and I shout them out on every single episode. So yeah, visit that if you're into Italian football. Good stuff. That was... Uh... That was very deliberate for me there. <laughs> and Owen, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, just the, the young team. Perfect. And you can get me at RTJNK on Twitter. So thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time. It's Griffiths again. Good play by Gamland again. James McFadden scores for Scotland. France are stunned and Scotland lead in Paris.